from the Heritage Foundation. I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. That's the sound of sea otters playing in Elkhorn Slough in California. If you're in San Francisco and you get a chance, I highly recommend taking the two-hour drive south on the Pacific Coast Highway, renting a kayak, and hanging out with them for the morning or the afternoon. They are remarkable creatures. Did you know that sea otters were almost extinct? But because of efforts to preserve the population, they're slowly but surely growing. They're able to do this because they were given protected status under the federal government in the early 70s. Who wouldn't want to protect these awesome creatures? Well, it should come as no surprise to learn that when the Trump administration announced it was going to make revisions to the Endangered Species Act, the left would do what they always do. Grizzly bears, humpback whales, the bald eagle, all species that might not be here today without the Endangered Species Act, which was signed into law by President Nixon in 1973. Today, environmental organizations decried the Trump administration for moving to weaken those protections in their view by changing how agencies decide whether animals or habitats deserve to be covered under the Endangered Species Act. Hold on, it gets worse. The people that will be impacted the most will be our children with the loss and uh, with the emasculation of this incredibly important endeavor, the Endangered Species Act. And I can tell you uh, from my heart that there has never been a presidential administration more willfully, more purposefully negligent when it comes to the stewardship of our natural resources than the Trump administration. Or how about comedian Greg Ott? Those voices are talking about new changes to the Endangered Species Act, which will shrink protections for endangered species while making it easier for companies to drill and mine in protected areas. It makes sense. If you're going to drain the swamp, you might as well check for some oil underneath it. The Endangered Species Act protects creatures like the bald eagle. It's an animal we like enough to put on our coins. But if we want those coins, we're going to have to mine some copper. And if those copper mines kill a couple of bald eagles, it's okay because they'll always be on our coins. It's good to know that at least one person on the left can laugh about this. But taking a step back, there's one thing missing from all of the media's talk about the Trump administration's revisions to the Endangered Species Act. The potential that it could actually save more species from becoming extinct. But how could this be? As well-intentioned as it was when it was passed, maybe the Endangered Species Act hasn't been as effective as the left claims. Maybe the results are not good enough for what we spend on it. And how about the unintended consequences? So let's look at the other side of the issue. The side the media refuses to tell. How effective has the Endangered Species Act been? What are the changes the Trump administration are proposing? And what will the impact be on private landowners and the endangered species themselves? 
Darren Bax is a senior research fellow in the Rowe Institute for Economic Policy here at the Heritage Foundation. This week, he explains. Darren, thank you so much for joining us this week. That's great to be here, Tim. Okay, so let's just start from the beginning. Um, when I initially read about the uh, Endangered Species Act, or we can actually call it the ESA, is that okay? That's okay. Um, it, it was touted as, at least in the blogs that I was reading, as a tremendous bipartisan effort led by President Nixon in 1973. Now, I think we're going to have some disagreement with that, but just explain briefly the start of this and what was the intention originally? Well, the, the intention is to conserve species. And this law was passed in 1973, so we're now 46 years into it. And unfortunately, the law has been a failure. And no matter what you're hearing about how wonderful it is, the reality is only 3% of species that are actually put on a list. And that, that list lists the species that are thought of as threatened or endangered. Only 3% of those are actually recovered, um, which means they can get taken off the list as being threatened or, or um, endangered. So it's not working. Okay, get into the mechanics of the law just for a second. Now, when I was first reading about this, I was kind of having a hard time understanding the different kind of levels of protection. Um, you know, if endangered is the highest of protections needed, what are there levels below it? Yeah, so a threatened species. Okay, is also listed. So a threatened species is a species that's in the foreseeable future likely to become endangered. And they can look pretty far out in the future of 50 to 75 years. So it's by itself, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you define that? <laughs> and that's a problem. Absolutely. All right. And so what do you see in terms of these different levels? Are they fair or are they are they arbitrary by nature? Well, they're certainly arbitrary. And one of the biggest problems that exists is simply the whole process of determining whether or not there's actually a species is even at risk, knowing what the population of the species is. Um, and then even when the government has made mistakes, they sometimes don't even correct their mistakes. So that that's a real problem, and it's really some very bad data out there as to know really whether or not the law is working as well as it should. And even, look, even many of the species that have been removed from the list, a lot of times it's just because of error by the government. And so, really, uh, this law has been a pretty, pretty much a failure. Well, I think what's really important is that it has failed to achieve its purpose, as I talked about, in terms of conserving species. But the, the other thing that's really problematic with the law is that it infringes on private property rights. And it's, this, it's one thing to, you know, to actually achieve your species conservation goals, but unlike maybe other environmental laws, what you have here is private property owners that are not doing anything wrong at all. They're not polluting the water. They're just trying to engage in ordinary activities like farming or building their house or whatever it is. And what happens is society has decided that we're going to put all the costs onto the private property owners. They're going to have to deal with the land restrictions, not being able to use their land. And then society doesn't bear the costs of property owners do. And it, there's something called regulatory takings. It's when the government regulates property so much, at least in theory, that there's no value or reduces the value of it. The problem is the courts have said, have made, made it almost impossible for something to be a regulatory taking. 
So if the government, federal government reduces the property of your land, Tim, by 90%, that's not going to be considered a regulatory taking. Wow. And and we're going to continue to get uh, more into this as we go through the interview. But I want to give you a quote here from the World Wildlife Fund. Um, they say, quote, the U.S. Endangered Species Act has been a model for conservation efforts globally, and weakening this effective law hamstrings the U.S.'s ability to help save species from extinction. Now, your piece, which was in the Daily Signal, which is a great one, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, everyone, so please go check it out. It's called Three Ways Trump's New Regulations Will Better Protect Endangered Species. Now, I want to go one at a time here um, on these ways. The first one is no longer treat, treating threatened species as if they were endangered. So, what do you, so go, go into this a little bit more. As we talked about, so threatened and endangered species are they're different. And when something, when the species is listed, there are going to be severe restrictions placed on somebody's property if they're endangered. But what's happened was the Fish and Wildlife Service started to treat threatened species like endangered species. So why? They put, why would they do that? Well, because they decided to ignore the law. Um, and and what what the government is doing now is they're bringing it back so that the threatened species don't have the severe privacy restrictions, I mean, the property restrictions like the endangered species do. And, and what happens if you're a property owner and a species has not been listed as endangered, but is listed as threatened, and you don't have those severe restrictions, what you do is you have the incentive to make sure they don't become, that species doesn't become endangered. So you have the incentive to actually try to conserve the species. If the threatened species, if the penalty to the property owner is the same as if the species is endangered, then first of all, you're not going to have that incentive to serve the species. And what property owners wind up doing oftentimes is they'll actually start to change their property to make sure the species does not come onto the property. So they'll like cut trees down so a bird won't fly onto the tree. Because they know how onerous it is once an endangered species is on their property. So it's, you've created a situation where the property owners have a disincentive to actually help to achieve the law's objectives. The second point you make, I think, is is interesting, and I hope you can go into it as well. But you say that these changes go to promote more transparency. How how is that? You know, you quoted, you, you stated that quote from before was the World Wildlife. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the problems with the law is that it is, as implemented, has been a failure. And so when I hear the law has been a success or these changes were will weaken the law. I just it's kind of laughable because what needs to happen is this law needs to be improved. The implementation needs to be improved. One way of doing that is to actually know what does the whole law, what is it actually costing us? Now, it's one thing. So when you list a species, you're not supposed to take into account cost issues. You're just supposed to decide from a scientific perspective, is a species threatened or endangered? That's fine. So what the government is proposing now, which is good, is to continue to do it that way. But it's important for the public to know what the actual economic costs are of listing the species. What does it mean for property owners? What does it mean for jobs? What does it mean for infrastructure projects that people need, like water? That's information the public should have and also helps to, when you have that information, to inform policymakers and the public as to how you might be able to improve the law. What's happened in media accounts is that they are trying to make it sound like instead of listing the species based just on the science, 
the Trump administration is proposing to take into consideration economic issues as well. That is expressly the, – the rule expressly says it's not what it's doing. In fact, in the, the EPA, when they set like air quality standards, they're not supposed to consider economic issues either. They don't. But when they set the standards, they do inform the public what the costs are um, so that the public actually knows. It's the same exact thing. And I think it's one of the biggest lies that's out there right now. How about the third one? And this is important because you talked about it more um, in terms of land use and how the federal government is using this as a way of controlling private land. And you do, in in the piece, an interesting case in in Louisiana. Why don't you get into that a little bit? Yeah, so the dusky gopher frog is an endangered species, and it exists in Mississippi, but doesn't live in Louisiana. It hasn't lived in Louisiana been seen in in Louisiana for over 50 years. There is some land in Louisiana where the Fish and Wildlife Service wanted to designate that land as critical habitat for the dusky growth of frog, even though, again, the frog hasn't been there for over 50 years. And the land in no way could actually support the frog. The frog couldn't survive on the property at all. So the only way the frog could survive is if the property owner decided they may have to make some drastic changes to the property, which they weren't going to make. So you've got this the government fighting this lawsuit, trying to designate land for the dusky gopher frog as critical habitat. And for, for what end? It's not going to help the dusky gopher frog. And what it's going to do is it's going to cost millions of dollars to the private property owner in Louisiana. The good news is, as it all played out, the government did settle with the property owner. And at least that's something good. So what is the Trump administration doing to curtail this? Well, they're trying to make sure that if if a property is not actually occupied by the particular species, then it's less likely that you're going to designate that as critical habitat in in very simple terms. So if the frog doesn't actually live in Louisiana, we're not probably going to designate that as critical habitat. Maybe, but it's unlikely. Uh, In response to all this, um, Speaker Pelosi said that this is an uh, an obvious example of the administration putting, quote, special interests ahead of public interest. Yeah. Well, if Dusky Gopher Frog is a special interest, then I, maybe she's right. About well, that. I think, I mean, it's a good point. I I think she's um, doing, you know, and, and, and what I do in prep for this is I try and read everything the left is saying. And one of the main things that I'm reading is, is that this is a, a handout to big oil. And and you know all the different mining activities here. So what what is your response to that? Well, honestly, I mean, even though I was joking about the dusky gopher frog as a special interest, the the reality is these changes are designed to help species conservation. So again, if right, if the animals and the plants and the and the threatened and endangered species are special interest, then yes, it is a a handout to them because that's it's designed to help them. It is truly designed also to help property owners because when you, if you disincentivize property owners to not conserve species, you're hurting the species and you're hurting the property owners. There is like this fight between the federal government and anybody affected by the law. Instead, what the government needs to do is work in a collaborative fashion with states and private property owners to try to achieve the objectives of the law. So this isn't designed for special interests. This isn't cronyism, which I'm adamantly opposed to. Yes, you are. This is a law designed to improve the environment, 
protect species conservation, respect property rights. And also, quite honestly, many of these changes are simply the administration looking at the law and deciding, you know what, maybe we should actually comply with the law as opposed to what past administrations have been doing. Yeah, there's a it's 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 pretty sad state of affairs here in D.C. that just because something's been done incorrectly for 46 years, changing it to make it work better is somehow this big crazy deal. Well, th- think about it. It's, it's we're close to 50 years, and you'd hope that some lessons have been learned in that 50 years, and that there'll be better ways to actually conserve species, and we would improve the regulations that actually exist to better conserve the species. We're going to get right back to my interview with Darren, but I just wanted to make a plea with you real quick. Heritage Explains isn't the only podcast that exists here at the Heritage Foundation. In fact, we've got a bunch of them. we got Problematic Women, Daily Signal, The Right Side of History, SCOTUS 101, Liberty and Justice for All with Jack and Paul, one of my favorites, And this all costs money to do, and we want to keep this going, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to make a plea with you right now, if you like the work that we're doing here at the Heritage Foundation in terms of podcasting, log on to heritage.org, look up at the right top right side of the page, click that donate button, and, and, and make sure you specify that you're supporting podcasts when you do the donation. It's very, very important that we do this. It's very, very important that we keep this going. We are making incredible strides to take background that the left has taken from us in terms of communicating via podcast format. And it's because of listeners like you that we can do it. So thank you. Again, it's heritage.org. Look up at the top right-hand corner of that webpage. Click donate and help us keep this thing going. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Darren. Is there anything more that the Trump administration should be doing in in regards to the uh, the ESA? Yeah, yes, there's definitely more they should be doing. I think one thing they need to be doing is just first of all, they've done a good job of establishing a record and developing these rules so that they can actually defend it in court. I think one thing you want to do is the listing process when you decide what species to list should be distinct from any type of regulatory implications that are associated with the law. So you basically decide, okay, a species is threatened or endangered. That doesn't necessarily mean that the species would be regulated, or it might change how you decide to go about regulating the species. There needs to be better transparency. Uh, We need to get a better sense of what it actually is costing property owners out there. And I think that's going to be a challenge I think what's interesting is you sometimes hear groups, environmental groups argue, oh, there's not enough money spent. But the reality is when you have massive regulations, they don't ever take into account the cost of the regulations. This is What happens is if, you, if you're a government agency and you want big government, but you don't have money appropriated to you to actually spend the money, what you do is you say, okay, let's just create a bunch of regulations and we'll let the, let the Americans, the taxpayers, and the property owners bear the cost of it. And that's actually what's happening. We need to know what those costs are. Darren, I really appreciate you coming in and and shedding a bit more light on this. Thank you, Tim. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. Keep it coming, folks. We love hearing from you. Just a special shout out to my new friend, Mark. He sent us an email and I want to give you a little bit of what he said. He said, the Heritage Explains podcasts are outstanding. I love listening to them. 
They are very informative and insightful. Also, the length is perfect. I can complete one on my morning drive from home to work. So many podcasts are 40, 50, 60 minutes long, and those require multiple listening times. Thank you for all you do to promote the truth as it relates to news in America. Listen, Mark, thank you for the message and thank you for listening. We love this show. We love our audience. And so thank you for helping us improve it. Now, in the spirit of Mark's email, we better wrap this thing up because he's probably almost to work. So Michelle is on next week and we'll see you then. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad. 